Psalm 29. Psalm 29. My name is Wade, by the way. I'm the pastor here. And on Wednesday nights, I lead what we call an open Bible study. That means anytime you show up, you're welcome. Uh, If this is your first time, you can jump right in. You're not behind. We're just taking a psalm per week and studying it, starting in Psalm 1, going to the end of the Psalms, which is Psalm 150. We're going to be in Psalms for a while. So we're just glad you're here and can study God's Word with us. It's been a a really encouraging study for me to, to slow down. I mean, I've read through the Psalms many, 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 many times, but to slow down and dig and study and meditate and think has been really edifying to me. And so it's been fun to study these Psalms together. And we've made it to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Before we read the Psalm together, just a reminder of what the Psalms are all about, a summary of the Psalms. This statement comes from Kendall Easley. Uh, a reminder, just kind of a quick reminder before that, the Psalms are collections of hymns. They were written and they were intended to be sung in corporate worship. So these are a collection of, of songs, hymns, meant to be sung. And here's the theme of all of these songs. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. And so the Psalms remind us that if times are good, God is worthy of worship. If times are bad, God is worthy of worship. Amen? Uh, I had a little conversation with my kids. We, sickness hit our house at the beginning of this week, and it was pretty rough. And I'll spare you the details, but, but uh, we got to talk to our kids about, you know, even when you feel awful, even when you feel really, really bad, you can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We talked about Job a little bit, who was a lot worse off than any of us were. Uh, but, but God is still worthy of our praise because he's still in control of our lives. And, and, and when times are good, when times are bad... You can trust God. Even if you don't understand what's going on, God is worthy of your trust and confidence because, again, he's calling the shots, he's in control, and he loves you uh, in a perfect way so you can trust him uh, no matter what life brings your direction. That's the theme of all these hymns that have been collected for corporate worship. Now, Psalm 29, I've titled, The Majesty of God's Voice. It's a psalm that focuses on God's voice and it is rich and I told you last week this is one of my favorite psalms I know I've said that a lot but this really is one of my favorite psalms and I think you'll see as we I say it often but as we as we work our way through it we're going to see that this psalm is just really really powerful really poetic really poignant really um really well written and so I can't wait to share it with you let's look at psalm 29 a psalm of David Verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with Peace. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this time together to 
to just slow down from the busyness of life and to study your word. I pray, God, that as we study Psalm 29, that you would use this study in our lives, that you would inspire us, encourage us, help us to understand the majesty of your voice. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The majesty of God's voice. Uh, What we see in this psalm are three steps to what I call true worship or genuine worship. So if you want to make sure that you're a genuine worshiper, and by that I mean that your heart is really in it. Did you know that you can worship and your heart not be in it? Did you know that? Or if you knew that. Did you know that you can go through the religious motions and your heart not be in it? Did you know that? And we know that because God calls out his people all the time for doing that. He says, he says you, you honor me with your lips. He says in Isaiah, different places, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And it's possible that you can find yourselves going through the motions of religion, going through the motions of corporate worship, and yet your heart's just not engaged. You're just not that impressed by God, you're, you're just not that overcome by how majestic and how glorious he is. And so Psalm 29 is one of those psalms that was written and can be used in our lives to stir up hearts, uh, to, to help us understand how great God really is, so that we'll, we'll be delivered from just worshiping God with our lips. We'll actually worship God with hearts on fire for him. So three steps to true worship. First of all, we see a call to worship, a call to worship. Verse 1, David writes this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, he's, he's asking the people here in a corporate manner, give God something, ascribe to the Lord something. What does he want them to give God? Well, he says it there, verse 1, Glory and strength. Verse 2, give to him, ascribe to him, the glory due his name. And then worship, which is uh, parallel for ascribing glory. Worship him in the splendor of holiness. And so, the essence of worship, listen to this, is giving God what he deserves. That's what worship is, giving God what he deserves. Now, I want you to notice that word there. You can circle it or underline it. The word glory in verse 1, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. And, and then down to verse 9, in his temple all cry glory. Everybody see that word glory there? The Hebrew word is the word kavod. And it's a very interesting word. It was a word used in ancient times, uh, and it was applied to kings. And the, the word basically means weight, weight. And so here's what happened in ancient times. You had two kings, and the two kings wanted to see who was the greater king. So here's how you decide who the greater king is. You get all the gold and all the silver and all the precious metals that each one possesses, and you weigh them, and whichever king has the most weight is the greater king. Whoever has the most possessions is king of the mountain or king of the hill or just the greatest king. And so that word weight was applied to a king that had uh, a greater standing than another king. And so the word weight, kavod, came to mean worth. If if a king had more stuff than another king, he was worth more. 
And so when the word glory is ascribed to God, when it says give him glory, it's saying um, ascribe to him his worth. Uh, recognize his worth. Recognize his weight. Recognize how great he is. Recognize he's the king of kings. He is the greatest. You are ascribing to him the worth that is due his name. That's what worship is, ascribing to God the worth due his name. And so there's only one in the universe that's worthy of glory, that's to be recognized for his weight, for his worth. And that is the perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, sovereign, magnificent, gracious, loving, merciful God of the universe. He's the only one worthy of worship and praise. And so the essence of worship is giving God what he deserves. So David here is calling them to worship. Give God worth. Recognize how great he is. That's what he's saying. And by the way, that's what worship is in our own lives. We come together, we're coming together to recognize how great God is and how good he's been to us. And so that's the essence of worship. And here's the deal. God deserves this glory from all creatures. Look in verse 1, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. O heavenly beings. He's speaking here of the spiritual realm, uh, the the angelic beings, the the angelic hosts who were created by God. Uh, The angelic beings here are called by David to worship God. That was one of the reasons they were created, to worship God. And so David's just reminding them, your job is to worship God. He's worthy of worship from every angel. And then he says in verse 9, May the Lord bless his people. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. And in his his temple all cry glory. So he's speaking of the gathering of God's people, the people of Israel there at the temple. So he's speaking there of the people of God. He's worthy of glory from them too. And so the, the idea here is that God is worthy of glory from the angelic realm, from the created realm, from humans. God is worthy of glory from all of his creatures. It says over in Psalm 150, which we'll get to in a few years. It says in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I, I, I appreciate my creative wife and in Connor's room, she went with, a, with an animal theme. There's different animal stuffed animals and animal bedspread and animal blankets. And it's really cool and it's really colorful. And, and then she had someone uh, paint this picture and it's up on the wall. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. I love that. Uh, that's the idea. Every creature should be uh, ascribing to the Lord the worth, the weight uh, that is due his name. So there is a call to worship. Just a, a reminder from David. Hey, you need to be about worship. You need to engage him, not just with your lips, but with your whole heart, because he's worthy of you ascribing worth to him. So there's a call to worship. Secondly, There's an illustration, this is really the meat of the psalm, there's an illustration here of majesty. So it's like David wants to kind of stoke the fires of worship. He's called us to worship, but now he wants to get us excited. And and so the the really uh, meaty part of this psalm is about this illustration of majesty. And what the Lord, uh, or what David's doing here, the Lord... uh, inspiring this through David, is he's using the storm, a storm, as an illustration of the Lord's voice. And so if you look at this and you, and you understand what's happening here, you see that, that David is probably watching, as he writes this, an approaching 
thunderstorm or approaching storm. Uh, my dad right now is in uh, Florida, where he lives, in the Cocoa Beach area, and he is watching closely an approaching storm. Hurricane Matthews done a lot of damage in Haiti. is headed towards the Bahamas right now, and they're watching it very close in Florida to see what it's uh, going to do. It's uh, They're having 150. 45 mile, mile per hour wind gust sustained 120 mile per hour so it's a big storm and and they're watching it closely and I've been texting dad and 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 there's something awesome about an approaching storm I mean you you can't look at an approaching storm like that and not be awed by the power of it but then if you think about it God is the one in control of the storm so if a hurricane is that powerful or a thunderstorm is that powerful and so awe-inspiring what does that say of the one who's over the storm what does that say of the one who has the storm in his hand, right? And that's the point that he's making here. So look at these, these pictures of the approaching storm. The voice of the Lord is over the water. So it's like he sees this approaching storm. The God of glory thunders, he says. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So he's comparing the voice of the Lord to thunder here. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. So he's, he's, he's seeing a storm so powerful it's, it's snapping these great cedars of Lebanon, these huge, beautiful trees uh, over. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young, wild ox. He's giving here some place references. So probably he's, he's envisioning or watching a storm that comes in around uh, Lebanon, the north part, and is making its way, it says, down towards Kadesh in verse 8, which is the south part of, of that area. So this storm's kind of made landfall off the Mediterranean. It's working its way from north to south. And he says there, in verse 7, Lord of the, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, probably a reference to lightning. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, thunder, you know, the, the, the fury of the storm. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. I mean, this thing is so violent that a, that a deer who is uh, uh, pregnant actually gives birth to a, uh, to a young fawn. Strips the forest bare. It's, it's doing damage in the forest. And so he's, he's uh, looking at this storm, and it's filling him with awe-inspiring thoughts. But notice here how many times he, he compares the storm or calls the storm the voice of the Lord. Do you notice that? Seven times, voice of the Lord. Look in verse 3. The voice of the Lord over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, verse 4. Voice of the Lord is full of majesty, verse 4. Voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Voice of the Lord, verse 7, flashes forth flames of fire. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And so he's talking about a storm, but he's comparing it to the voice of the Lord. So here's what he's doing. The point is that God's voice is powerful and majestic, just like this storm, and should not be trifled with. That's the point of what David's saying here. God's voice is powerful and majestic and should not be trifled with. Here's a great quote, and it comes straight from the ESV Study Bible. It reads about this passage. The reader, as he reads this, should imagine a magnificent storm coming eastward from the Mediterranean, making landfall to the north in the mountains of Lebanon, and heading south to sweep through Israel from Syrian in the northern end of end to Kadesh in the southern end. The faithful worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem see the awesome power of the storm and from it know that the voice of the Lord is even more powerful and even more full of majesty, hence their responsive cry, glory. So that's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking at the power, 
the awe-inspiring nature of the storm, and he's comparing the voice of the Lord to that to remind us that God's voice is powerful and should not be ignored, should not be trifled with because God's voice is so powerful. Listen, it should be taken seriously. That's the point of this psalm. Let me tell you something cool to do because it's about an approaching storm. Uh, there are oftentimes, the, the back of our house faces to the west, So a lot of times when these lines of thunderstorms come across the Mississippi and come across the Delta and are headed our way, I can go out on my back porch and you can can see the storm approaching. It's a really awesome thing to see a line of thunderstorms approaching. And there have been times I pull up my Bible and I read Psalm 29 while it's coming. Now, you know, I don't stay there too long. I I don't don't stay in harm's way. Um, But, you know, I'm from Florida. Hurricanes, you got time to get out of the way. Tornadoes, not so much. I like hurricanes better. All right, uh, I'm not a big fan of tornadoes, but uh, but uh, you know, on my back porch, and there's a there's a line of thunderstorms coming. Bob knows he's right there in my backyard. He knows what it looks like, and those storms are coming across. And uh, and and, and I, to read Psalm 29 and just think about the power of God, who's more powerful than that storm, is a really cool thing to do. So do that next time you see a storm. Okay, don't get in harm's way, but do that. It's it's really neat to do. That's what David is doing. So here's the point: God's voice is more, more powerful and majestic than the storm, and should not be trifled with. So, when I saw this, this emphasis, this repetition, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, seven times, I began to look at other places in the Scripture that it speaks of the voice of the Lord. And there's a really neat, uh, re- there's really neat insight into the voice of the Lord when you look at how this phrase is used in other places in the Bible. So let me just give you some thoughts about... Uh, the voice of the Lord, because we see mentions of God's voice as a consistent theme in Scripture. So if you read through the Bible consistently, you'll see often these references to the voice of the Lord, particularly in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So let me give you four thoughts about the voice of the Lord, four thoughts about God's voice. I'm going to tie it into us and our experience with God's voice, and it's going to be awesome. That sound good? You don't look convinced, just hang on. It's going to be awesome, all right? At least from my perspective, it will be awesome. Someone asked me uh, this week, how was the sermon Sunday? I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. From my perspective. Anyway, okay, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, so let me tell you four things about this voice. Number one, the voice that terrifies. The voice that terrifies. Deuteronomy, look in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy gives us another passage about the giving of the law, particularly the giving of the Ten Commandments. By the way, the word Deuteronomy, Deutero is a word for second, and uh, onomy comes from nomos, which is the, the, um, the idea of law. And so it's, it's, it could be translated second law, the second um, explanation or description of the giving of the law. And it's here, found here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12. It's speaking here of when God gave the Ten Commandments. It says, Then the Lord spoke to you. Hey, back, back up to verse, um, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9 to establish the context. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, as Moses speaking to the nation of Israel, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless you, they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horb, the Lord said to me, that's Mount Sinai, 
The Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. I I know you may have a soft spot in your heart for Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, but I'm telling you, that movie don't do this justice, all right? I'm telling you, the mountain was wrapped in a storm and thunder and lightning, and the earth was quaking. It was an incredible sight. It says in verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you, Out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And so God spoke to them from the fire, and they were terrified. As a matter of fact, fast forward to chapter 5, verse 22. Look at their response to the voice of the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 22. These words, speaking of the Ten Commandments... These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard, now look at this, as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now therefore, listen to what they say. Why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near, saying this to Moses, Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And so the people of Israel draw near to Mount Sinai and they hear the voice of the Lord and they are so terrified. They say, Moses, you go talk to him. Come back and tell us what he says. I mean, they were terrified by the voice of the Lord. Listen to me. You do not want to encounter, this is important, you do not want to encounter God's voice without a mediator. Someone between you and God. You don't want to do that. Because God's voice is terrifying. Because he is awesome. He is perfectly holy. He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And, and, and we don't understand what that means. But if you were, are ever in his presence and you, and you were able to hear his voice, you would know how terrifying that really is. So we see here the voice that terrifies. But secondly, there's the voice that commands. It says here in Deuteronomy, he spoke to give them the Ten Commandments. And look what it says over in 1 Samuel. Fast forward to another era in Israelite history, the, mon- the establishment of the monarchy. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. This is Samuel's farewell address. God had given them a king just like they wanted. And Samuel says this to the people and to the king. Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his what? Obey his what? His voice. 
And not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it all will be well. But if you will not obey the what? The what? The voice of the Lord. But rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And so here's what he's saying. You better pay attention to his voice. God has spoken. He's given you his word, his commandments, his expectations. You need to take his voice seriously. So the scripture gives us this theme of the voice of the Lord, the voice that terrifies, the voice that commands, but third, the voice that judges. The voice that judges. Look with me back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 20. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, So shall you perish, talking to his people, Israel, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So now he's saying, I've given you commandments with my voice, and because you did not listen to the commandments of my voice, I'm going to judge you. Destruction is coming because you did not listen to my voice. Uh, Turn over uh, to Joshua. Next book over. Joshua chapter 5 verse 6. By the way, I don't have to take you to all these verses, but I'm just taking you on the journey. I went through studying this, and it's a fun journey, so I'm just taking you along. All right? Look in Joshua chapter 5, verse 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. God told them to go in the promised land. They didn't go. They were afraid of the giants. And they perished because they would not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them. He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, this voice is judging them for not obeying his commandments. And then, one more place. Look over in Psalm 18. Psalm 18. We looked at Psalm 18 not too long ago. Psalm 18, verse 13. Speaking of God's judgment against the people that were coming against David, it says, out of, uh, or it says, verse 13, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. So these, these representations of God's judgment and His actual judgment, hail, hail and fire, was was painted in this psalm as God's voice. This judgment is God speaking judgment on you, the voice that judges. So we see in the scripture a voice that terrifies, the voice that commands, the voice that judges, which if we stop there would leave us with no hope in this room. Right? Because we don't want to come to God without a mediator. We'd be terrified. Uh, He's given us commandments and we've all blown them, right? Right? Would anybody in this room say you've kept all the Ten Commandments perfectly? Anybody want to sign up for that challenge? No, we've all, we've all blown it, right? And because we've blown it, we deserve the voice of judgment. We deserve hell, fire, and brimstone. That's exactly what we de- deserve because we've disobeyed God's voice. So if we stop there, we would all be in this room totally hopeless. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. Because I want you to see... The voice that saves. The voice that saves. Now turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
there's this beautiful little prophetic passage that speaks of one who is coming. Look, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses speaking to the people of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as the day, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not again hear the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for, for, up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I uh, command him. Whoever will not listen to my words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. So here's what he's saying. There's one coming that will be a prophet in the, in, in the vein of Moses who will be a mediator between God and man who will make my word known to you. And guess what? This prophet, his name is Jesus. The New Testament reveals to us that this, this prophet that was promised in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And so God is saying, even though people cannot keep my commandments, even though they deserve the voice of my judgment, I'm going to send another voice, a voice who saves. And if they respond to his voice, they can experience my salvation. Isn't that good? And so aren't you glad for that voice that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know who said that? Jesus Christ said that. Aren't you glad for the voice that said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad for that voice? Aren't you glad we're not left to tremble at Sinai? Aren't you glad that we can experience the loving voice of God made manifest to us ultimately through Calvary? Aren't you glad? And so there is a voice that saves. So we see this consistent theme in Scripture. The voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord. And and in Psalm 18, David's just reminding us of how great the voice of the Lord is and saying, listen, you should not trifle with the voice of the Lord. So there's a voice that says, but let me help you to think about the voice of the Lord in a little bit different way. And here in your notes, it is truly amazing that we possess a book that is the voice of the Lord to us. So you say, boy, the voice of the Lord's awesome. Powerful, mighty. Well, guess what? You have a book called the Bible that is the voice of the Lord to you. And guess what? It's better than hearing him audibly. So wait, why would you say that? Because the Bible says that. Turn, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you this very quickly. 2 Peter chapter 1, awesome passage. Second Peter chapter 1. This is what Peter writes about God speaking. He says in verse 12, uh, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on 
the holy mountains. Here's what Peter's saying. Hey, myself, James, John, we got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the curtains of glory were pulled back and we saw the full, um, unmeasured splendor of Jesus. His garments were white like snow. And on that mountain, we saw him conversing with with two men, Moses and Elijah. What an awesome scene to be on that mountain and see Jesus transfigured before us. And it was incredible because we heard a voice from heaven, the majestic glory say, the Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Notice he calls it the voice, the voice from heaven speaking. And so here's what Peter's saying. I am telling you about Jesus, and I was an eyewitness of his greatness. I was there on that mountain. I saw him transfigured. I heard the voice from heaven. How awesome that I got to experience the voice of the Lord, right? Look what he says next. This is incredible. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So we have a word from God that's more reliable than that experience I had hearing the voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. What's he talking about? He says, you do well to pay attention to this because it says to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, he's talking about Scripture here, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, what we call the Scriptures were not just kind of invented by humans that wanted to write some neat things down. Look what he says. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's what Peter is saying. Our Bibles, the Scriptures, were given to us by God through human instruments. So when they were writing these words down, God was so involved in the process, they were writing down exactly what he wanted them to write down, the very Word of God. Because God doesn't make mistakes, that means that these scriptures are without error. They wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. It is the word of God. And because we have this word written down, it is more reliable than an experience on a mountain. Because guess what? You can hear a voice and forget what the voice said, can't you, over time? You can hear a voice and and misunderstand what the voice says, right? You can hear a voice and... You not be real sure if you heard a voice or not. Did I hear a voice or was that the, the bad salsa from last night talking? Right? Did I, did I really hear a voice? Experiences can be misinterpreted, misunderstood. But let me tell you something that is a sure word of prophecy. Your Bible. God giving us his unchanging word through human instruments, so we have a rock to learn from, a rock to live by, a rock to build our lives upon. Listen to me, what you have in your Bible, don't don't miss this, is the voice of the Lord. God speaking to you. And every time you get alone with your Bible and you open it up with your cup of coffee there, you are you are experiencing the voice of the Lord. I can't think. Now, maybe you can't think of something. I can't think of a greater privilege than that on this earth. Can you think of a greater privilege than the God of the universe? The God who spoke things into existence, the God who, who made you. Can you think of a, a greater privilege than the God of the universe speaking to you? 
That's what happens when you read your Bible. Isn't that amazing? This is not religious ritual. We're not just going through the mud. This is God speaking to us. And so it is truly amazing that we possess a book that is the voice of the Lord to us. David wanted the people of Israel to be, to be, to be inspired by the voice of the Lord, to recognize the majesty of God's voice. And oh, how much more should we be inspired by God's voice because we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have something David didn't have. We have Romans and the Gospel of John and Ephesians and 1 Peter and Revelation and Acts and all these other books. We have the completed canon of Scripture, God's full revelation to man. We have it here in our Bibles. Now listen, why do we let our Bibles collect dust? Why do we ignore the Scriptures when it is the voice of the Lord for us? Just like David was amazed by the power of the voice of the Lord, comparing it to a thunderstorm, an approaching storm, you and I should be amazed by the power that the voice of the Lord has in our lives through the Bible. Amen? The voice of the Lord. That was a weak amen, by the way. So we see here a call to worship, then an illustration of majesty. The approaching thunderstorm reminded David of how great the voice of the Lord was and is. And here's the third thing, an all-filled response. An all-filled response. We're almost done. Boy, that point took a long time, didn't it? Number three, an all-filled response. So how should we respond as we think about how great God's voice is? Well, he tells us there in Psalm 29, verse 9. Well, actually, back up to verse, yeah, verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry what? Glory! They see the power of God. Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So the people respond here, an all-filled response. And that, by the way, that's what worship is. It's responding to God's greatness. All right? Responding to God's worth. Ascribing him the worth through his name and then responding with worship. The people respond with an exclamation of glory. Verse 9, glory! And the word there in the Hebrew is kavod. Weight. Worth. So the people think about God's power, God's greatness, the majesty of his voice. They say, glory! He's worthy! He's got a lot of weight! There's none more weighty than he is! He's worthy of every bit of our worship and praise. That's what they're saying there. Glory, one word. Kavod! God is so weighty. God is so worthy of our worship. There's an exclamation of glory, but then there's an application of God's attributes. David says two things here about the Lord. Number one, he says, God is our sovereign. Look in verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So David is probably watching some storm, you know, coming ashore in the Mediterranean, making its way from north to south, maybe from Jerusalem. They can see the storm from afar. And David is thinking, you know, that's a big storm. That's a really big storm. That's a great storm. That's a scary storm. That's a terrifying storm. But guess what? My God's over the storm. That's what he's saying there. And there's no storm bigger than God. God sits, look what it says, enthroned. 
He's on his throne. He says enthroned over the flood. He's in control even of the storms. Amen? By the way, that means the storms that you and I go through. Because if you live life long enough, you're going to have some storms, right? And aren't you glad to know that no matter what's going on in your life, God is enthroned over that? He mentions here the flood. Do you ever feel like you're kind of treading water, about to go under? God sits enthroned over the flood. There's nothing you're going through that God is, is not in control of. You've heard it said before, I think I said it recently, everything that's over your head is under his feet. And so David here closes down the psalm by just reminding himself of God's sovereignty. Yeah, that's a big storm, but God is bigger than the storm. God is in control. God is calling the shots with all that's going on in our country. When you think about you know, the terrorism and the viruses and the political system and all, all that's happening in our, our world today, things that fill us with fear and, and angst, isn't it good to remember that God is not in heaven wringing his hand saying, what am I going to do? God is on his throne. God is calling the shots. One theologian said, there's not a rogue molecule in the universe. God's in control of it all. He's sovereign over the flood, and we can rest in that reality. Secondly, second attribute, God is our source. Look in verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So, based upon this verse, where does strength and peace come from? Where does it come from? The Lord. He's our source, isn't he? So if you ever need more strength, God's your source. You ever need more peace? God is your source. He will provide everything that you need. Let me say it like this. The Lord is enough. Or let me say it like this. If you have nothing, but you have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, you have everything. Everything you need. And if you have everything, but you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Jesus is enough. He is our source. And that's the point he's making here. He's, he's applying God's attributes to his life. Yes, the, the thunderstorm is powerful. It reminds us of the powerful voice of the Lord. It also reminds me that God's in control. It also reminds me that my strength and my peace come from that God who is calling the shots. He is your source. Let me just encourage you with this. If you have needs in your life, listen to me, the first place you ought to go is to the source. The first place. Yes, we need to talk to friends and, and family, and, and there's, there's, there's strength in community and relationship and fellowship, but have you gone to the Lord? He is your source for strength. He is your source for peace. And so we see here in this psalm a call to worship, an illustration of majesty, and an awe-filled Response Again, the, the purpose is just to stir up hearts to worship. If you've lost sight of how big God is, how great God is, how majestic God is, just remind yourself of the voice of the Lord from Psalm 29.